1: The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
0: Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life. Like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help. From fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com.
1: We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and
0: icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not
1: see. We could not, but she did in the end. What will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
0: Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt and joined by Stephen Garner and Stephen... How are you doing on this Wednesday afternoon when the Suns just keep winning basketball games?
1: And it feels sensational, honestly. Winning cures everything, regardless of what's going on. Yeah, I know. So, kind of in the vein of that, you know, when your team is on a win streak in the distance of being undefeated with their prized acquisition from the trade deadline. That makes everything else a lot much better. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, man, it's good to be on a win streak again. This season is going to go down as one of the funniest in terms of we've we've witnessed the full range of motion from uh, emotion. And like, are we contenders? Are we not? Should we tank? Should we not? Like somehow those were all seriously talked about within one season. Uh, it's been a mess, but we are we're happy to take some time to talk about it uh, again. We are into the Valley part of the Fans First Sports Network want to encourage you, if you've not already, follow or subscribe to any of our various podcast feeds. We're starting this thing from scratch, essentially, so we know it's going to take some time. Steven is already doing all the heavy lifting on Twitter, making sure he's sharing and posting good stuff, and I, as the simple man, retweet the crap out of all the good stuff he's putting out there. So you don't want to miss him on Twitter either. Uh, You can also follow the Twitter account, at TheValleyPHX and you'll make sure to see all the good stuff there too. We last recorded after Kevin Durant's dud of a home opener. We were excited to talk about that game. I we both I think thought it was going to be I don't know if you can have a coming out party when you're Kevin Durant. You're so good it doesn't matter. <laughs> like we thought it was going to be the stuff and instead the poor guy could not hit a shot. It was brutal. Lucky for us, Kevin Durant is one of the most talented basketball players of all time. It's really hard for him to be bad more than once in, I don't know, like every six years. I I don't know how he works. He's incredible. And I think we saw it on display the last week since we've last talked. Uh, Before I kind of recap those three games, what were kind of your takeaways from going after, you know, watching Kevin Durant's dud to watching what he's done the last few nights? Kevin Durant delivering in every way you ever imagined man.
1: Uh absolutely. And kind of what we left off the last episode with which was the thing that stuck out most to me with KD is the defense.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: naturally the defense if it takes care of what it needs to do the offense will come a lot more easy for this team. And just seeing just the little things like not even anything necessarily nuanced but just Durant understanding when to overhelp and when or when to help and when not to um, and when to switch, how to communicate the switch, how to switch against specific types of players. Like those little things have helped this defense that was already like borderline top third of the NBA to being stamped as a top third team oh. in terms of effectiveness and efficiency defensively. 100%. And those numbers have all taken leaps uh, when Durant's in the lineup. <laughs>
0: I, I will say that's that's been my number one, just like, man, I'm lucky to have this guy on my team. Offensively, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say he would have had to do something unseen, unheard of for me to be like, wow, he's even better on offense than I imagined. Like, no, it's Kevin Durant. We know on offense exactly what that man can do. Mm -hmm. He many believe he's the best pure scorer in the history of the game. I think he's comfortably in that conversation. I'll put it that way at every single level, a truly unstoppable guy defensively though. That's where I'm enjoying watching him just stand out. Uh, There's multiple moments, whether it's on the perimeter, watching a guy think he can get around him and then realizing the length and quickness isn't going to allow it. Watching a big check his shoulder after getting it, after like a nice little pin down, he checks his shoulder and sees Kevin Durant and immediately hesitates. Like this dude, no matter where he is on the court, is making offensive players second guess their own decisions. That's stupid, man. Adding that to what was already there. uh, And obviously the chase down blocks had one, the big one, I would say against OKC had another really good one uh, in the last game of the week against the Spurs. Not as fun and exciting because the game wasn't quite as fun as exciting, but still it's it's exciting, man. So let me let me do a quick recap for the folks who maybe you're listening. Didn't get caught up since we last talked. The Suns have played three games since our last episode winning them all starting it off against a very shorthanded Denver Nuggets winning 100 to 93 Nuggets were without Jokic, Jamal Murray, KCP and Michael Porter Jr. So when I say shorthanded, I mean shorthanded. Then they beat the Thunder in a game again that mattered and not a shorthanded team, 128-118. The Nuggets we talked about this last time. Does the game matter kind of. But You know, it is what it is. The Thunder, on the other hand, they had about as much to play for, if not more than the Suns, in terms of what they were doing. So we saw a full-strength team here. I thought that was the game of the week, just in terms of entertainment value. And then closing it out last night, winning 115-94 against the tanking San Antonio Spurs, who, whether... I mean, no matter who's on the floor for them, they're going to be very well-coached. They're going to continue to deliver a Popovich style of basketball. It just might happen with dudes who you've never heard of and last names you can't pronounce, but it's three wins. So I don't want to force you to go order by order here. There might be stuff that you want to talk about in one, the Spurs game. Maybe there's some, what, what stood out to you in these three games this week, whether that was a super small, like laser focused thing on the court or just some big picture stuff.
1: Well, the thing that just like we kind of opened up with is the defense, man. The defense, the defense is is, it's going to be what really helps this team get to the mountaintop. Mm -hmm. It's going to be how they go about handling themselves on that end of the floor, because naturally when you have the scores that they have and just the general presences that they have and uh, dynamics on the offensive side, it's going to be a little bit easier to navigate those waters just because of that talent. However, on the other side is where you have to put forth effort and you can't just win off of athleticism and win off of um, talent. So kind of looking at the defensive side in this six game win streak, the Suns are allowing only 102.2 points per game. That is that's I mean, like obviously, 20 years
0: ago. basketball
1: <laughs> Exactly. And bringing the context of 2022, 2023 to it, that's. If it was for a season-long stretch, that would be the best defense by far in the NBA. Yeah. And just kind of zooming in a little bit more, in the half court specifically in this win streak, they're allowing 87.2 points per 100 plays, which is it's, it's insane. It's That's insane. Different. Insane. And just kind of zooming back out and just looking at it on the season as a whole, even amidst the multitude of injuries, the trade, players being in and out of lineup, Jay Crowder not playing the whole season, all of that stuff. They are only allowing 111.3 points per game this season. If you told me that with all of the injuries before the season started that this team would have, like I think it's top five in terms of points allowed per game, I would probably question that. Like, How does this come about if these many players are missing this many games and all this other stuff is going on? So to just look at the numbers that they're being able to put forth consistently on defense and then see the leap that they've taken with the addition of Kevin Durant, as well as the re-ingratiation of CP3 and Devin Booker for sustained periods of time now, too. It's unbelievable, man. And I really feel like this team is beginning to peak at the most perfect of times. I'm going to put
0: you on the spot a little bit. I like doing it. I think it's fun. I love it. And I think it's a great segue from everything you just said, right? I think the defensive leap is one that, Taking some Suns fans by notice, I think the league maybe hasn't picked up on quite how good defensively they've been. One thing that intrigues me, and I've got just some super basic numbers to give you here, is the Suns right now have chosen a fifth starter that for the last month, this is the entire month of March, Josh Akogi has shot, and this is a whole month now, 34.7% from the field. 33.3 33.3 from 3 on four and a half attempts per game. So, I'm this is how my brain processes. I see that and I say that is bad, right? Anyone that knows numbers or basketball can get there. Now, you then start to play kind of the give and take game. What are we what are we gaining by having him? What are we losing when he's not? So for me, I think the Suns can roll that out because they know the four guys around him In the majority of those minutes are four guys that are offensive freaks. And so you look at that and say, we can live with that. Uh, I don't remember if we talked about it last episode or just on Twitter back and forth. He's been attacking the rim better. The free throws are getting up. That's good. That's a layer that he needs to add when shooting so poorly. Big picture here. And this is where I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't think any of the other guys – offensively have just shined. None of them have like seized their moment, had a hot streak for two weeks of hitting threes. Landry Shamit right now is the best three-point shooter of that group over the last month. He's only played half of it, and it's in the high 30s. Torrey Craig still isn't shooting the ball well, but flourishing in other roles. Campaign has been so bad that he got a DNP coach's decision that was kind of justified by Monty, but you still have to read some tea leaves and say that's a that was a rough back-to-back game. It's interesting. Damian Lee's not touched the court. I mean, I believe he's still there. He's nominated for a big award, which is awesome. Uh, Ish Wainwright touched the court, didn't do much. Is it almost to the point where Josh Akogi's lack of offense is okay because the rest of the guys also aren't that good on offense right now? Because I don't know if it's a defensively he's first-team all-defense that makes up for it, right? I don't think that's where we're at. But when you're putting him next to everyone else, is it just one of those things where it's like, just don't rock the boat? Like, do you have concerns with a Kogi come playoff time if they start leaving him open in the corner? Because that's, that's where I start getting nervous. I'm like, it's working now. Will it work when it's potentially seven games of one team drawing up an entire game plan to exploit your weakness? How do you handle that? From your coach perspective here of how to handle the Suns?
1: Yeah, so I think especially, and this is something that's also a topic relevant to Tory Craig. Um, it's all about the fit, especially when it comes to role players. Like it's a basic thing to say, but it seems like it kind of kinds of get kind of gets lost in the plot when looking at role players. But roles are important for role players, <laughs> and even more specific than that how their role and their specific skill sets and dynamics meshes with those of the other players is really what makes the circle peg fit into the circle hole rather than a square peg, if you get what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. So kind of looking at that, you look at Josh Akoji's strengths, his point of attack defense, general defense, offensive rebounding, physicality as an intangible, and just the general motor, and level of competition that he brings to the fold every moment that he's on the court. He checks those boxes off consistently. And if you look at the other four players around him, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Aiden, they bring their own things to the fold, but neither one of those four players is a point of attack defender. Chris Paul, not at this advanced basketball age, is not that. Mm. Um Kevin Durant's never been that, of course, because he's a wing that's playing the four now. Um, and then you look at what a Koji also brings and being able to cut off the ball and do a lot of the ancillary things, like I mentioned with the offense and rebounding and just the general level of competition. Like he understands what to bring to the mix when he needs to bring it. So whether that be him setting a screen or them using him intentionally to set screens as a way to manipulate space, as I think we talked about in the last pod or. It's him getting deflection. So now guess what? They're playing this transition, which guess what? If you're not a spacer, it doesn't matter because the floor is unbalanced. So the mm-hmm. defense isn't set. And just these little things that he does to make the spacing issue be less compromising than it typically sounds like it would be in general conversation. He does a lot of the things to tilt the scale to where the effect of that is not nearly as profound as it would be if he was just kind of like a chicken with his head cut off out there. Well,
0: I think I think that's Kind of taking what you're saying, and maybe this is a question, maybe it's, it's not. If you're trying to say, how do we prevent him or anyone else, honestly? Because again, I want to be super clear. I think out of that group, he has absolutely earned the role he's in. Like, I mm-hmm. think those minutes, there's no argument that you could make to think that those minutes go elsewhere. So like I want to be clear about that. But when you're looking big picture and you look at, I think it was KD's first game with us. How do you keep him from being wide open in the corner? I think that means you have to get him incorporated in sets that he wasn't incorporated before, right? And I think that's your point. Have him be the screener more times than not. Trust him to get the ball and make the right read. Have Chris in the corner sitting still, right? Like, Yes. That's, that's how you get away with it is you say he is our fifth guy. He is the one we probably don't trust hitting that shot. Let's not put him in a spot where he needs to hit that shot, right? That's where I think you're you're giving up a little bit in terms of your mid-range creation. He's not going to be able to do some of the stuff that maybe the screener, even if he's the ball handler, would typically do if it is a book or a Chris. But I would rather have that slightly tick down than have him be sitting open in the corner. I, I don't know. Maybe it's, I think the sample size is big enough now where if you asked any Suns fan, do you trust Josh hitting an open corner three in a game that matters? Unless you're just in love with the guy. I feel like you would have to be like, I mean, is there someone else? Right. Like that's Do you think the Suns can can do that? Without it being a detriment to the team, I guess, kind of reshuffling maybe who's in their actions to not leave someone stranded who shouldn't be.
1: Yes, and I think the most prime example of that was KD's third game with the Suns when they played against the Mavericks. Akoji was, I think it was like 0 for 7 or 0 for 8 from deep. And what did Monty do to kind of counter and adjust in real time? He just took out Akoji and said, hey, you're doing a good job on defense, but we need someone that's going to be viable that, knocking that down the three. Was and that correct. Yeah. That would be Ish Wright, who hit, I believe, three three-pointers over the stretch of the late third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, I think he hit two of those three or three of those four. Um, and they were all off of him just being helped off of. One time he set a screen for Devin Booker. He popped. They went switching double. And he was wide open at the slot on the opposite side. And he knocked down the three with, I think, a little over a minute and some change left in the game. And then there were other times where he just spaced in the corner and offered the an extra help conceded by the low man, which most of the time was Luka Doncic who was guarding him he was able to get wide open threes where he was able to just catch and shoot in a free-flowing manner without having to worry about a defender truly contesting that shot. And I feel like being able to plug and play in a viable manner, players that cannot just hold it down on the defensive side of the ball, but be viable enough to knock down those shots when they present mm-hmm. themselves, especially in those waning moments, It's it's a template for what this team is going to be moving with moving forward. So I don't think... Monty is married to any specific fifth player for those starting or closing lineups. Yep. And I think that's the blueprint there, right there. I think,
0: I think, no, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. And that's that's where I continue to go back to. I think there's gonna be weird playoff games where we have an eight man rotation, and then Absolutely. the next night we'll play eleven. Mm-hmm. Like I I think Josh and Tori have shown that on both sides of the ball, the effort will be there no matter what. And that right there, you just, you can't take that out. Landry has stints. I think defensively, his intensity is also always there. Offensively, sometimes his shot's not there. I think defensively people, I think he is for some reason the Suns player that the internet likes to crap on the most. I think Landry's defensive effort is solid. I think TJ Warren's defensive effort is getting better. I think Terrence Ross is still figuring it out, but getting there. Yet, Monty has continued to give him a run in that second unit. That that immediate end of the first grouping continues to have Terrence and TJ roll out together. I think there's a part of me that thinks the two of us could put our brains together and be like, we're figuring this out. And I also think there's a part of us that's like, Monty's completely screwing with us and the first series is going to start. And we're going to be like, oh, Terrence Ross isn't touching the court anymore? Like, okay. Like, I just don't know. I don't know how much of it is we're figuring it out and how much of it is like, this is a real thing that we want to try.
1: So I think i really, in my hardest of hearts, I feel like Monty, especially with the ancillary players, is just kind of giving players runs in different lineups just to collect lineup data. This is where your analytics department comes into play. This is also where your film department in terms of people who trust the eye test come into play. I feel like Monty marries the two in a balanced manner. And then of course, different, Um, factions of the the, uh, coaching staff bring the other dynamics into it I think they're just uh, compiling film with different lineups different player combinations and just different parts of the rotation having certain players in and certain players out Um, and I think looking no further than that is the comment he had I believe it was after uh, one of the games last week where he was mentioning that he would be sprinkling in a little bit more of Chris Paul with Kevin Durant in those lineups that start the second quarter and then those mm-hmm. lineups that start the fourth quarter. And also by nature of that, that means there's less Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton with bench or excuse me, with reserve players It's more of Chris Paul and um, Kevin Durant with those players. And now it's Devin Booker with DeAndre Ayton and wings. So just kind of looking at that as a microcosm or a template for the question that you're, that you're kind of getting at. I think that's what they're doing is just compiling lineup data in film uh, in addition to that we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night
0: ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse carved it in the
1: blood on our backs we did not see we could not but she did and in the end what will I become? Senwa Saga hellblade 2 play it now with game pass
0: no i i'm i'm excited i think these next couple of games i think we got three left mm-hmm. uh could tell us a lot could tell us very little i'm hoping <laughs> i'm hoping we see some more experimenting we've got we've got the seat on lock could the suns and i'm gonna go ahead and say i don't think they will could the suns maybe be more inclined to lose to one team over another to help determine who they play? Technically speaking, yes. Do I think they will? No, I don't. I think the Suns Suns would much rather go into the playoffs on a nine-game winning streak than they would with a stupid loss to try to play one team and it doesn't work. So I'm feeling like they're playing this out. I think they're going for it. And so with that, I'm curious to see how experimental he gets and one thing that did stick out to me as well and again this is this is base basic ethan does math type stuff here (laughs) one thing that i picked up on not in some like big brain way just following the flow of the game is the suns had some very obvious trends by quarter in the last three games uh and i went and and just kind of tallied them up the suns in the first quarter between Denver, OKC, and San Antonio were a plus 29. In the second quarter, they were a plus 23. So in those three games, they're outscoring the other team by 52 in the first half. In the third quarter, they were a minus 12. And in the fourth quarter, they were a minus two. All of those games, Thunder a little different. They were actually tied at the end of the first, got a bit of a lead at half, um, and pulled up and then kind of just got shaky. Every one of those, though, I felt like it was a the Suns asserted their dominance and then took their foot off the gas. Um, KD even said it in his post game. I can't remember if it was after the Spurs game or the Thunders game. I think it was the Spurs where it was just like, we've got to have more of that killer instinct. We've got to put this away. And I, I will admit that did frustrate me a little bit because I, I don't want to see that against a lesser opponent because I don't want it to happen against a greater opponent. We see a, 20, 30 point lead drop into single digits. I don't like that no matter the scenario. I would hate that a lot more if we're playing against the Lakers, Warriors or Clippers, right? Like we have seen the Suns look great in the playoffs and then drop a dud. I don't need to list multiple, multiple examples here. So that was the only thing that actually stuck out to me. I don't know if you can call it a concern, maybe nitpicky, maybe just whatever. I didn't like that. Does that does that crap bother you? Or do you just be like uh, more more reserve guys are getting minutes. Rotations are moving around like it happens. It's just tough when it's a 30 something point lead that drops to like nine or six. Like it's hard to get outscored by 20 plus points, even with I don't know. Does it bother you or is it just part of the game?
1: I think it's part of the game, especially in this generation of the NBA, just as easy as it is or just as hard as it is to go down 20 points. It's just as hard to keep that 20 point lead, especially if you garner it early in the game, because all it takes is a couple of three pointers made, which we know teams are built to hit threes in a consistent and sustainable manner. All it takes is a couple of threes made from a team and a couple of stops in addition to those for that lead to suddenly be a two possession game. That was once five or six, you know? So I think it's the natural ebbs and flows of games, especially like you mentioned, when you start to sprinkle in the lineup that garnered the lead being subbed out and becoming sub segments of that lineup. And now they're going against, you know, different parts of the rotation from the other team. So there's going to be natural ups and downs, especially come playoff time when you're looking at games being played a little bit more in the half court. Um, So I don't put too much stock into it. I do think it's something to keep in mind, but I don't think it's like a pressing matter matter or anything of that nature.
0: The Nuggets one was the one that I think annoyed me. Suns were up as much as 27. It got cut down to, to single digits late. Like those dudes really didn't have much to play for. You look at the Thunder, they're playing for something the whole time. The Spurs, weirdly enough, I feel like those are the dudes who are trying to kind of put together tape whether it's to stick around through a rebuild or go somewhere else. Nuggets second night of a back-to-back, right? Like everyone's gone and the Suns weren't able to kind of maintain that pressure, even with some pretty standard rotations out there. So I'm, I'm curious to see, and I'm hopeful that that trend doesn't continue. I mean, the Suns used to be the third quarter team, right? Like that was, Mm -hmm. you come out from half Monty works his magic or whoever's doing something back there. And that's what happens. This week that just was so it was so abnormal for me to see the suns on the other side of that and it really jumped out. I don't think there's any player decision anything to blame. I will say when those things happen, I think Tory Craig and Josh Kogi continue to just jump off the screen cuz those dudes look like they will run through a brick wall brick wall to prevent that crap from happening. Absolutely. And I just love those guys. Like
1: Absolutely.
0: It's great, like I love having those dudes, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. where it's the the consistency you look for come playoff time might not be in terms of efficiency, but it can be effort, and you can get away with that right like i i'm I'm getting more and more on like I don't know how many minutes Tory Craig needs, but like whatever it is add a couple <laughs> i did you I, I think he's just so perfect off the bench, right? Do you think he feels more comfortable coming off the bench? Because he just seems like that is where he thrives versus being that other starter.
1: So Tori Craig, and I actually have <laughs> we answering uh a tweet that I actually have in the queue right now for okay. later on today. Okay. But <laughs> so Tori is the son's best example outside of a Koji, as we already spoke on, but players perform it when they're positioned in their role. For almost the entire season, if we go back to, what, five or six games in when Cam Mm -hmm. Johnson went down, Torrey Craig has been playing out of his role. He's been in the starting lineup for a lot longer than this team expected to have him in there for a a varying amount of reasons. The fact that he's back in his specific part in the rotation as a reserve that they want him to be speaks to the level of play that he's shown over the last handful of games. Um, Torrey's... Tori's just a player that's going to come out, he's going to do his job. When you task him with doing even the slightest bit more in terms of a minute load or responsibilities on the floor on either side of the ball, that's when you start to see a little bit more variance. So naturally, from that lens, I understand when fans are speaking about how they don't want Tory to be um, one of the main pieces within the rotation because of what they're seeing on a nightly basis. I understand that, but you have to apply the context. And the context being that Torrey has not been in the position that he's supposed to be in for the entire season. They brought him back. They brought him in in the first place in the championship season where they went to the finals to come off the bench. He wasn't starting in place of Jay Crowder at any point in the season. He obviously wasn't starting over Mikael Bridges. So naturally, we fast forward to this season, and you see how many games he started, now, I, I was now, just
0: about to ask you. Mm-hmm. I looked it up while you were talking. Do you happen mm-hmm. to remember how many games he started?
1: Ah, it's got to so, be over. It's got to be over forty. He's got to be close to fifty, right?
0: Fifty nine.
1: Yeah, there, there we go. There I would go. have.
0: If you asked me, I would have been like maybe forty. Fifty nine. Mm-hmm. And as we're mm-hmm. talking here, I'm. I'm trying to see what's the most games he's ever started in a season. Cause I, oh, this is
1: by far it. I was he like, wasn't there's starting, no way. No, nah, he wasn't starting in Indiana, of course, and he wasn't starting. Well, he might have been starting in Indiana. I'm not sure because that was a wonky period for them, but he definitely wasn't starting in Denver. It,
0: is he, has he only been in the league since 2017?
1: Mm-hmm. That is yep.
0: insane to me. And he had Why his coming
1: out he- party in the bubble. I was gonna say that with is Jeremy true. with Jeremy Grant, uh, early Jokic, yeah, most, that rendition. MPJ. The most
0: games he's ever started in a season, thirty-seven mm-hmm. in his mm-hmm. second season in the league. Mm-hmm. Boys started fifty-nine games, twenty-five minutes a game. Yep, that's that's yep. a long time to not be going back to the whole round peg square hole thing. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. trying to be, or maybe maybe not try to be someone else, but he's trying to fill a role that very much was created with a different type of player in mind. And we, exactly. we talked about it at length. Like the Suns were still running Sun stuff, but he was mm-hmm. having to pretend to be cam Johnson. Mm-hmm. He he. might say he tricked us. The man was hot. I mean, he was shooting what 44% from three for the first like month or so. Like it was a weird thing of like, is this going to work? And then he mm-hmm. kind of reminds you like, no man, that's not me. Like that's mm-hmm. not what I'm here to do. Uh I'm excited for your tweets. I'm excited to see what you got working on there. But no, and I something
1: think something else something else real quick on Tory. Go for so it. So I think the perfect the perfect template to kind of judge him by is just looking at March. So in the games where Kevin Durant was not in the lineup, Tory Craig was a minus 1.3 in the box score in 24.4 minutes per game. That was in that stretch after KD's first three games and before that last one against OKC when he got hurt. Tory was a minus 1.3 in 24.4 minutes in that window. Since KD's come back, he's been a plus 10 coming off the bench in just 18.8 minutes. So that speaks to lineup balance and rotations and the total of minutes when Tory's playing, you know, the type of high-energy uh, style of play that he has. He's a plus 10 when KD's playing, and he's a minus 1.3 when he's not. That's night and day. And the minutes total being under 20 versus over 20, and being closer to like a starters type of level of play that's what you want from tory right here put him in his role and he's going to do his job and he's also going to give you a little bit of extra like we saw last night against yeah. san antonio
0: it it's kind of funny i don't i'm trying to think back this is i think third season doing this a lot of the times these conversations on any podcast are very focused on kind of the stars right like you talk about your guys. I'm guessing any Nuggets podcast right now is talking about Jokic's MVP campaign, how he's better than everyone else. You can insert, I don't know, Celtics are talking about Tatum. For weeks now, the Suns discourse has been guys like five through nine. And I think that's telling for a couple reasons. One, I think Suns fans care enough that they do care about guys five through nine, if not through fifteen. But I think it also Maybe can act as a good reminder of how set one through four is. And I wanted to talk about one guy in particular and kind of get your thoughts on him. DeAndre Ayton, I think, since Kevin Durant's arrival, has been able to be quietly successful. The spotlight has never been smaller on DeAndre Ayton since he showed up in Phoenix. What have you seen from Ayton so far since Kevin
1: Durant's arrival?
0: Uh and maybe what do you think that'll that'll look like come playoff time?
1: Well, for one, the Suns have been a lot more uh intentional with their touches for DeAndre, whether it be of course out of pick and roll with Chris Paul, but also running some set plays for him, sometimes ATO, sometimes just in the flow of the game. One of the one of the three initiators, the primary initiators, will look to get him the ball with this off of some type of variation of flex action. Or they'll give him like a slice screen where we'll see somebody peel in from underneath the basket and give him like a cross screen from the elbow from the goal diagonal to the opposite block and then get a paint touch off of that. Um, they've been intentional about getting him getting him touches in advantageous spots on the floor, and I think one of the underlying dynamics with the addition of Kevin Durant is that he adds yet another player for the Suns who's adept at feeding front court pieces the ball. Mm-hmm. in spots where they're able to score from with one foot or two feet in the paint. Of course, Chris Paul being the best, maybe the best in the NBA at setting up front court pieces to get paint touches. Kevin Durant, especially for non-guards, is probably the best player in the NBA at doing just that. And when you bring those two type of dynamics into the fold, naturally, especially with them not being selfish in any in any you know aspect of the game on offense, that's going to get Aiden touches. And they've been intentional with that. I'd like to see that. However, and things keep trending back to speaking on the defensive side. DeAndre Aiden has been very good defensively. He's been a lot more aggressive, knowing that he has another seven footer, somebody who quite as is kept seeing them in person next to each other. Kevin Durant might be a half inch taller than DeAndre, mm-hmm. like to be honest. And his wingspan, I think by measurables, is maybe an inch shorter or an inch wider. Uh, so, you know, you add that blanket on top of the blanket that DeAndre Aiden already was. In moments where he might stay a half step away from somebody out on the perimeter, he's taking two steps closer and he's closing that airspace. And also in addition to that, in the aggressiveness from Aiden defensively has been the son's willingness to switch more. So when you have Kevin Durant on the floor with Deandre Aiden, and you're putting forth the switching scheme for a few minutes or a a quarter or two over the course of a game. When DeAndre Aiden had to leave the porch in previous renditions, there was a significant size discrepancy with Jay Crowder or Mikael Bridges, who don't lack the grit or a general level of competition to fight for position, but they just lack the stature. Mm-hmm. So you ask somebody like Kevin Durant there, that takes that little gray area or a slight hesitance from DeAndre Aiden in switching or stepping up to you know guard an action or guard a player like they did against OKC to close the game out where they went with switching against their small ball lineup. He's able to take those extra steps towards Josh Giddy to short close out on him on the three point line. And then he's able to show his athleticism, being able to slide and contain the ball and recover in those scenarios as well, without having to worry about the back porch being open with Kevin Durant back there. So I think just the slightest bit of a dynamic like that and being able to see DeAndre Aiden be more aggressive defensively, as well as the rest of the Suns, knowing that if they're out on the perimeter and you have two seven-footers behind mm-hmm. you, not just one, and one of those two seven-footers is one of the better athletes in the NBA in addition to that size, <laughs> like there's there's just a different type of feel that this team has in the front court now, man. It's been, I know,
0: it's been crazy. And that was one thing too, kind of just going through my notes. Kevin Durant really can't, be impeded on an entry pass. Like you're putting yeah. his brain with his body and his length. Like you can't really block him from getting the entry pass that he wants. So if DeAndre Ayton can get in a good position, I don't know if physically you can stop Kevin Durant from getting the ball there. And I also think it has taken very little time. And this is probably me just being mean. It's not taking long for Kevin Durant to get pissed at DA for not dunking the ball or getting physical. (laughs) Like he'll get him a feed and DA will put it on the ground or he'll do his one little quick step and bring it down. And whether it was like, after he gets fouled and going to the free throw line, you see him book and CP laughing at it because they're all just like my brother in Christ grab the ball and slam it. Like it's so funny how quickly it seems that, KD has been integrated into this team. It seems like he's been there all season long. There doesn't seem to be any ego battle going on. Like it's just like we That's leadership, we have man. to win. I know. It's an I, mm-hmm. I think I think there's a lot of reasons Kevin Durant wanted to go to the Suns. You can say it was the run to the finals and the promise of Devin Booker. You can say it was whatever. One thing that and you nailed it. Monty's leadership Mixed with Chris Paul's leadership, mixed with Devin's leadership that he established from the beginning of I'm not a rollover and die guy on a bad team. Like when you enter an environment where the the mindset and the demeanor has already been established on the foundational level, if you match that, it is so easy to walk into it, right? Like it's it's great. And I think Monty deserves a lot of credit. I know people get frustrated with him. When it comes to some on-the-court decisions, I don't think anyone can argue that he was vital in getting us to where we are now. So things are looking good, man. We've got three more games that one of them, I guess, now doesn't mean too much. This Nuggets game, based off of, and it's complicated, by the way, you'll read one writer say the Suns have clinched the four seed. You'll have another one being like, if this, then this. From everything I've read from people I trust, the Suns have clinched the four seed. It's one of those things where it's like they have it definitively over this person. It would be a tie break here. It would be a tie break with these two, but they would win. It seems like the four seeds clinched unless mm-hmm. smart people are saying dumb things. <laughs> so the Nuggets game means very little. And then it's Lakers Friday, Clippers Sunday. Lakers Clippers both playing for a lot right now, but it's also a fun conversation of they might rather lose or win depending on who they're wanting to play. It's going to be an interesting last couple of games. So I want to end this the same way I ended last one. What's one thing the listeners should be watching for this upcoming week in Suns basketball?
1: I think one of the biggest things to watch for, especially with this team having uh, for all intents and purposes, locked up the four seed mm-hmm. is looking at who's playing in terms of uh, the ancillary players, I know we spoke about them a few minutes ago, but somebody like Jock Landell hasn't played in about two weeks. So mm-hmm. seeing if Monty goes about um, in the rotation playing not just biz, but also sprinkling in a little bit of Jock as he's shown at different stretches um, over the season, kind of like he did last season, where sometimes it will only be biz. Sometimes it will only be Javel, Sometimes it will be a little bit of both over the course of the game. I'm curious as to what he does with the front court behind DeAndre Aiden, as well as finding minutes for players like, um, like we mentioned, Ish Wright. Somebody like maybe even Damian Lee might start to get a little bit of burn here just to get some game reps in before the playoffs start. Because again, you never know what might happen. Some games might ask or demand for some more spacing in terms of catch and shoot ability that might be needing the services of somebody like Damian Lee. You don't want to have had him on the bench for over a month and a half and in this game three on the road and you're trying to, you know, insert him into the game, expect for him to knock down at least one attempt from deep when you need it most. So kind of looking forward, just thinking about dynamics and in the rotation like that. And then also the other big thing that I'm going to continue to keep an eye on is the Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden pick and roll because we saw it at the at the helm of everything with their comeback, or not the comeback, but the win in Oklahoma City on the road. Of course, Kevin Durant knocked down, I think it was three, spot up, catch and shoot three-pointers. But what was the premise of all of that? It all stemmed from the pick and roll mm-hmm. relationship between Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden. If Chris can continue to have this scoring gravity that he's regenerating as we get closer to, to the playoffs, which, side note, I've been telling people that he's just been playing it easy over the regular season. He has no need to overexert himself. At his advanced basketball age, he's waiting for when it matters most, where he makes his money most, is going to be in the playoffs. Give him his time, he's going to do it. And naturally, we're seeing that start to, you know, build itself up. So seeing him continue to blend in his score dynamic to help aid the impact of the pick and roll between him and DeAndre Aiden, and of course Aiden's role gravity doing what it does, is going to allow for these easier baskets and easier looks at the basket for Chris, for Devin Booker and Kevin Durant if those two don't have to dribble and they're playing off of a tilted defense set from other players that's such a cheat code because what if those two players spent their entire career doing setting the table for others so looking at that dynamic and seeing again the template from the Oklahoma City game being that the two-man game of Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden set the table for those two that's what you want in terms of just being able to attack teams in different ways so if those two players don't have to always be the ones at the helm of everything the sky is the limit, and the sky is honestly the floor for this team. I know, man. And <laughs> and looking, looking outside of
0: the Suns, for, for those listening, what I would say this upcoming week, keep your eyes on the Western Conference standings. There is a lot of movement that's coming, but there's also a lot of big storylines that I think maybe as Suns fans we've overlooked. The Denver Nuggets, I know we said four other players are out. They're not really out here. The Denver Nuggets are going to be entering the playoffs fully healthy. Mm-hmm. that is worth noting the Memphis Grizzlies, who were already good, having a phenomenal regular season, made one very overlooked move of bringing in Luke Kennard, who has opened up that offense i think I think he's either one or two right now in three point shooting for the league in the last month he was over fifty he's been over fifty percent since he got to Memphis. The guy has been. Very hot. Opened up a lot. Jaws back. Do they scare me? Still not quite. But they're looking good. The Kings, everyone wants to write them off already in that three seed, but they're there for a reason. They've got a whole lot of momentum. A crazy fan base right now who would lose their mind over a playoff series. So that's just the top four, and then you've got us. And then underneath, Madness. It could it could go any way. There are teams out of the playoffs who could clinch a spot. There are people who think they've clinched a spot who could be in the play-in play tournament or out. There is a lot going on outside of Phoenix. So with three games ahead that mean not as much as normal in in regards to our standing, watch some basketball, guys. Enjoy <laughs> the madness that is happening in the Western Conference. The play-in tournament... Frustrates me depending on the year. I think back to when the Suns finished 48 and 34 and didn't make the playoffs. Boy, a play in tournament would have been great then. But now I think it's it's given basketball fans more exciting stuff to watch and talk about. So so that's what I got. I saw you get excited. What do you want to say?
1: Yeah, so I think especially with the teams that are ahead of the Suns in the standings, I think you made great points. Um, the Nuggets going into the playoffs healthy and not just healthy, but also well rested, given the mm-hmm. nature of them, you know, finding these injuries that are obviously viable, that they want to keep players out of the game. They've done their work, so they you know they've earned that right to make that decision. Uh so I definitely respect it from them. Memphis is the one where I have some slight questions because yep. of course they're playing well right now. But looking at them in a playoff series, the fact that they lost Brandon Clark for the rest of the season is going to be a dynamic that I feel like is going to work against them at one point. It might not necessarily be the first round. For all intents and purposes, it might not even be the second round. But I think there's going to be a matchup where they're going to need that small ball, small ish lineup where they use him with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. That's not going to be at their disposal for, uh, for Taylor Jenkins and company. At some point, I think that's going to hurt them because now they're playing players like Santi Aldama in place of or even Xavier Tillman, my Michigan State brother, um, in that position of Brandon Clark, which, of course, they bring things to the table. But that dynamic and lineup doesn't hit the same, not at all, on the offensive side or the defensive side. So I have questions about Memphis that, of course, will be answered in the next two, three weeks. But I do have my eyebrow raised at them. I do think the Kings are absolutely legitimate, though. People need to stop trying to knock what they've done over this entire season they're the best team in the league offensively and defensively As quiet as it's kept in this stretch that the Suns have been the best defense in the nba guess who's right behind them (laughs) the team that everybody disregards on defense fox
0: and monk were i mean Mm -hmm. i've been watching kentucky basketball since my dad could show me basketball fox and monk with bam one of the most enjoyable seasons one of the most enjoyable teams kentucky has ever put out there it is Mm -hmm i I will do anything to prevent the suns from playing them, not out of a concern, but i just i want them to be happy. I hope they succeed <laughs> away from the suns if that time comes great uh but i I'm so happy that they are a part of the core that is helping this resurgence for a i mean we have a tortured fan base I get it. Sacramento's had a rough go the last little bit, a rough go. So it's fun watching them go through kind of what we here went through a couple years ago. So I'm curious there, Andrew Wiggins coming back for the Warriors after being out for 50 days, who knows what that's going to look like again, watch basketball and come playoff Mm -hmm. time. Anyone who's listening and cares. Don't just watch the sun series. Mm -hmm. Playoff basketball is a beautiful thing. I do not care what conference I don't care. One, eight, four, five. It's so good. Uh, And Steven, I'm pumped to talk to you about it. Uh, We'll figure out our, our schedule come playoff time. I'm guessing it's Mm going to be uh, messy and late and who knows what, but I know we're going to make it happen. Uh, Thank you again, Steven for, for squeezing in an afternoon podcast. I know we're, we're still working on getting our schedules coordinated, but uh, as long as we can keep hopping on, I think we're good Um, guys. Thank you for listening again. I hate, I hate doing the the plug, but if you're listening at 47 minutes here, it's your own fault. Follow us on the new feeds. Give a review. Uh, if you like me, but you don't like Steven, I don't see that happening. If you like <laughs> Steven, you don't like me, that's fine too. <laughs> give a review. We both appreciate it. Uh, we're excited to see where this thing goes, especially going into the playoffs. I'm I'm pumped. But again, for Steven, I'm Ethan. Uh, this is Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast part Helio Hoops and the Fans for Sports Network.
1: We yep. Peace.